Gab and Girl Time contains explicit sexually mature themes and is intended for a mature audience. The opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views of any platforms, sponsors, or social media. what we want and we don't care gabin girl time gabin girl time gabin girl time you know what really fucking pisses me off is people who don't use their fucking turn signal ding 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 <laughs> ding ding hello hello today is tuesday september 20th 2022 it's our 100th episode can you what? Can you say that again? What? I'm screaming out the inside. It's our 100th episode. Have you ever and done anything consecutively this long ever? No. We've talked about this before <laughs> that I give up things after a couple of years. I get bored and. But I have not gotten bored with you. I'm Aww. an interesting cat. <laughs> not only is it our 100th episode, it's 100th episode! I'm excited. Take that, Daddy Danny Winson. <laughs> we love you, Danny. We love you, Danny. <laughs> you can't cut that one out. I'm not going. I'm not going to. But that not was only our competition is it our 100th episode. We finally got the guest that I we've been wanting for a while forever. On our 100th episode, Woo! and that is. The owner of South Press, Jocelyn Fish. Hi, Jocelyn. Hello. Hello. We are so excited that you're here. Super duper excited. I have kid clout now. It's like having someone famous on. <laughs> it is. It's you're almost like Knoxville royalty right it now. It's the strangest thing. You never or I never thought when I opened the little shop, uh, that there would ever be like notoriety associated with it. If anything, I figured that at the end of the pandemic, it would be over in a year mm-hmm. and I would just go back to serving tables. And now I can't even go to Market Square for brunch without somebody stopping to ask if they can take a picture with me. Uh, just kind of a bizarre thing to be famous for, though, owning a coffee How shop. How does that feel? Like It's strange, but I also don't buy the hop. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't buy into it. I know. I kind of know... Uh, that I just shit and fell back. Can I say shit? You can say whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of shit and fell back in it on the TikTok is really what happened. That's kind of what created the big buzz. I was already in the news, but it wasn't until that kind of accidental viral video that it kind of really popped off and I started getting recognized everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's super Do you want to cool. talk about that a little bit or? Uh, well, about or, the first viral uh, video? Yeah, about about the viral vi- video. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, I, I did like most of the people at the beginning of the pandemic, I downloaded TikTok because I had lost my job and there was nothing better to do. But nevertheless, I was still like a 38 year old woman downloading a, an app that's really geared toward the mm-hmm. younger populace. Um, and honestly, I was surprised as anyone else because I'm hilarious, mm-hmm. but nothing I was putting out there was landing. Um, and so, like me, I, if I'm not immediately good at something, I don't want to do it anymore. Right. So <laughs> I abandoned TikTok. That's us. Um, for several months and started renovating the coffee shop. Um, and when we first opened, I was real slow. I mean, it was just me just kind of crossing my fingers and hoping for the best day in and day out. And 
one day I was sitting in the front living room in the windows and I was scrolling through and I just happened to see the TikTok app and the, all my apps. So I opened it up. Um, and this is also still the way I make all of my TikToks in one take. I pressed record. I said, hey, y'all, this is my little queer coffee shop in Knoxville, Tennessee. If you're in the area, come and see me. And I went to bed. Uh, that, that day it was pretty uneventful, but I went to bed, uh, that day and woke up the next morning with 30,000 followers, Mm, um, just in just overnight, the, the video had went viral and a lot of people had followed me because of it. Um, so not only now did I have this viral video with all these notifications, but there's just like constantly, and now everything I put out there had some interaction. There was people interacting with it. Um, and so I started leaning into it at that point because I was like, oh, this is a great... Because I guess TikTok casts a very broad net. At first, um, yes. Well, I think that if for the younger folks who would have interest in the shop, they are not on Facebook or they mm-hmm. are not on Instagram. Right. But they are on the TikTok. So when we cast that very broad net, uh, we really resonated with the college students that were all on virtual at the time when we opened the little shop. So the next thing I knew, we were on a capacity wait uh, for a week and a half. Wow. People would stand outside in the rain and the snow for six or eight hours, just get their chance to uh, cycle through the space. Now, keep in mind, also, when we opened the little shop in September of 2020. Yeah, pan- take, take me to that. Why did you, why a queer little coffee shop here in Knoxville? Well, I mean, I guess it really started because I lost my job. Mm-hmm. I had never been unemployed before in 24 years. I had always had a servant a servant job. Um, and when the pandemic took my job away, um, my knee-jerk reaction was not to file for unemployment. Now, now I can sit here and tell you that it was my ego that prevented me from doing that, which eventually shot me in the foot because I didn't file for unemployment. And instead, I went out looking for jobs and put in 22 applications Mm -hmm. in four days. Of course, no place is hiring. Mm -hmm. Um, So at this point, I couldn't draw unemployment because the system was so clogged with people who had already applied. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find a job. So what was I supposed to do? Lose my house? Right. Um, And so I rented literally the cheapest place on the entirety of Chapman Highway. It was an 800 square foot shop in the downstairs of the Parkway Hotel Is building. Is that your part of town? Are you from it, here? I mm-hmm. am. I've lived in South Knoxville. Braddock and I have owned our home in, in South Knoxville for the last six years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not from South Knoxville. I'm from about 60 miles east of here, um, Newport, Cock County. Oh, yeah. You know what? Okay, so I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, she's got an accent. I'm not quite sure where it's from. I almost said Morristown and the up that way, but Newport, Newport makes very so much more Tennessee. <laughs> I mean, to me, to me, Knoxville was the big city. Um, that was yeah. where I was going to be able to come and not be so and so's child or so and so sibling. I was going to be able to have like enough anonymity to be authentic. Mm-hmm. That's so um, funny. I moved here from Kodak. <laughs> to probably do the same thing. Also, just had a little so. bit too much personality. I was very obviously uh, queer and outgoing and unapologetically so. Mm-hmm. And so I was almost too much for that little pocket of rural East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so I came to Knoxville fairly young and kind of established myself. And I've been involved in the LGBT community uh, in philanthropic uh, in some philanthropic capacity for the last 25 years. Um, but when I lost my job and I had to figure out like, well, what do I do? Um, I'd always, my fiance and I, neither, neither one of us drink. 
Um, and yet in our our immediate walking distance, there's like six or eight breweries, which listen, I'm not a stupid woman. That's great for the local economy. Mm -hmm. That's great for our property value. But as people who don't drink, that is not a viable social space for us. Right. Right. Um, And so uh, what started out as just a, really how we ended up doing coffee was just, I needed a way to keep the lights on. I knew I wanted to open a community space. I knew I wanted to create a safe sober queer designated space um and initially i was gonna just start with french press coffee that's why it's called south press french press coffee and drip coffee only because i got on marketplace i got a little pour over a mm-hmm. uh, drip coffee maker <laughs> that would have been in like the fountain city diner in 1980 uh, i got it for a hundred dollars on marketplace and that's all i was gonna do um and there was a froyo's that went out of business and the guy who owned it owned several other businesses, and he was just trying to liquidate his warehouse. He sold me everything I needed for, to run a coffee shop uh, for roughly a thousand dollars, like out wow. the door. Um, and so what that's great kind opportunity. Of, yeah, it, it was meant it, to be for yeah, sure. Serendipity just stepped right in. <laughs> it yeah. sure was. So we flipped the sign in September of 2020 um, at a half capacity. Um, and so, and, and masks were required to enter, to sit down and eat. If you weren't actively eating or drinking, you were expected to wear a mask. Um, and then in December, we absorbed the barbershop space next door and turned it into living room seating so that people could come through the line and then go next door um, and share the space so that we could still run at half capacity. But as things got worse, uh, we ended up having to go to to-go's only. Because the numbers, it, it's a it's a hazard of caring about the people that you serve. Mm-hmm. Is that I knew that this was a very dangerous illness, and I didn't want to knowingly expose or put anybody at risk. Mm-hmm. So it was odd, like navigating a pandemic, being a new business owner. Keep in mind, I had never had a job making more than two thirteen an hour. I don't mean that as a slot. I'm just saying that a lot of the decisions that I was now responsible for had always just been way above my pay grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no college education. So I was really just kind of feeling it out. I've made a lot of mistakes, a lot, a lot of mistakes, but not the same ones twice. Nice. Yeah. Um, and so just, it's hard running a small business. It's it very difficult. Yeah, my husband wants to do it right now. And I'm, I'm like, you bring me a business proposal and we'll talk about it. You know, the biggest thing that's surprising is it's a tax bill on top of a tax bill on top yes. of a tax bill. Mm-hmm. By the time you pay all the taxes that must be paid, um, sometimes it, it it is disheartening. It's hard to feel like it's worth it when you work super, super hard and there's so little to take home at the yeah, end of the day. Definitely. And you're still probably making two thirteen an hour. Um, on, <laughs> I mean, for real. By the I time, work. by the time you pay everybody yeah. that needs to be paid. Yeah. And well, there's also Braddock and I did it all ourselves until we could afford to pay a living wage. Yeah. So we didn't hire anybody until we could afford to pay them between fifteen and seventeen dollars an hour. I commend. We you. still do not. Yeah. Um, even people who are coming in on an entry level with no coffee experience, I still bring them in because I feel like when you make people feel valued. When you make people feel seen, Mm -hmm. they will do their best work for you. And that's all we can really ask of any employee or any staff person is that you don't have to be the best barista in town. You just have to be the best barista that you can be today. Yes. You know what I mean? Leave your best work on the table. That's good business 101. That's good business instinct. 
you should treat people well regardless. I think that people can taste the intent. Yes. I'm not a great barista by trade. But when I'm making a drink, my focus is on... I want this to be good. I want yes. them to enjoy it. I want them to not regret spending $5.45 on this beverage. Um, and so I think that people can taste that. I think that even if the steam, the milk isn't the perfect temperature or the right consistency, they can taste that I really want them to enjoy the beverage. And I think that that makes up for a lot. Yeah, yeah I feel the same way about when I bake. The same exact way. Yeah. Every, everyone is special. This is going to be the best cake you've ever had there. Yeah, definitely. Put your intent. All right. So what you've had, I'm sure you've had problems in the past two years running a small business. I mean, I think that in the beginning, it always felt like the sky was falling because I didn't know what to do. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So when uh, problems are going to arise in small business, Mm -hmm. but when you've always been on that very low level chain type of employee, you've, and I never had to deal with this other stuff It all in the beginning. It all seemed like the sky was falling. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how to navigate it. I had no idea how to like problem solve the things that were coming to me. So in the beginning, it was a whole lot. Now also stay very transparent with people mm-hmm. about what's going on in the business and mm-hmm. my capabilities and mistakes that I've made. Cause I've had to take to public sometimes and, and eat crow and be like, ah, uh, have really put, got an egg on my face. I have made some mistakes that are at the detriment of the business. Um, yeah, I, I for think- sure admire your integrity in your business because, um, there have been times Uh, where I know you've gotten help from the public and then you've always been amazingly grateful and like you said transparent about what's happening where things are going and you know how I feel about the government if you've heard one of these (laughs) podcasts and part of that is why because they just there'll be something here you didn't do or something there. I mean, it's like constantly something changing and boy, howdy, they don't mind penalizing you. Okay. So my question is in the South, we don't take too kindly to queer coffee shops. (laughs) How, how has that been? Like, did you get pushback right Mm. away? Do you still get pushback after two years? Um, Yet, the, you know what's strange is that the shop has only had protesters one time. Uh, it was at a free mom hugs uh, event. They showed up to protest outside. Um, did, I, did y'all go hug them? I did yeah, not. what I, in the I, heck I, are they protesting <laughs> right. for hugs? They really did not want to respect a woman, and they really did not want to respect a trans woman, so they were very upset when I put them off the property. Because um, one good thing that our landlord did was give empower me as a tenant for that entire square block to trespass people. Oh, nice. Um, it allows me to curate, say, space and to put people off who would threaten us or make us feel uncomfortable. And he knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the biggest thing is um, what I'm doing is revolutionary. No other trans woman uh, in East Tennessee and in our region has ever dared to so publicly and unapologetically be trans and own a business. Um, And that is a double-edged sword. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I'm very proud to be who I am. And I don't try to be stealthy. I don't try to be, I don't try to present myself as something I'm not. I'm just me all the time. Um, When trans issues come up in the news, Mm -hmm. um, 
when there's a collegiate swimmer uh, who is competing, when there is uh, bathroom bills proposed, if you live in Southern Appalachia and you are outraged that trans people are existing, but you don't know any to lash out at, South Press is owned by a trans woman and her telephone number is on the door. Mm-hmm. So I'm very easily accessible when people want to lash out. Um, and so, yes, I, you know, I get people will also say some pretty horrific things behind the anonymity of the Internet. Um, and you've got to have a super thick skin. You do. To- I think that it's you have to know who you are and know I, for me, knowing who I am uh, allows that the personal things that they say about my appearance don't get to me. Knowing who I am with my integrity means when they question, when they when they say things like we're groomers or things like that, I know that that's not the case. I know that we're curating safe space mm-hmm. and and protecting that at all costs. And that's also the gift of a busy business is that we can be discerning with the guests that we serve. Yeah. I don't have to serve a racist. I don't have to serve a transphobe. I don't have to serve a homophobe Dunkin Donuts is three quarters of a mile down the road they will literally serve anybody mm-hmm. anybody but South Press doesn't have to we can be discerning and I think that allows us to curate safe space as well I think that also if a queer coffee shop is to exist in southern Appalachia um, the curator of that space must be assertive um, and not afraid to take up space and not afraid to set boundaries with people who would oppose us um, I think that any amount of pushover uh, would would be a tipping point. I think that being strong, uh, making making sure that people know that we're not to be messed with either. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still a corn fed country girl from Cock County. I can right. handle business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like I like to say, I have enough white trash in me to make for a very bad day. <laughs> you know. Like, I know. I enough. do. <laughs> it's just. I'm from Lower Antioch. <laughs> yeah. So, from the hood, I'm sweet as pie until mm-hmm. I'm meaner than a striped snake. You that's just have what, to, you just have to, you get what you give with me. Yeah, that's what my when kids you, have always said. I'm good till I'm not. When you first <laughs> applied for the the business license and you had this plan going, do you and your fiance both own this business, or is it strictly you? In the beginning, Braddock was deemed essential. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, my question is. Did you have a hard time getting that license because you were a woman? No, 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 no. Uh, um, now, they they were um, taken aback. Do you know what I mean? I think that a, a lot of the bureaucrats in the area had probably never met a trans person before and definitely not been in a position where they had to treat one with dignity and respect. Uh, so yeah, we, I would believe that. It was a <laughs> very... A very teachable moment. Um, but now this is not something that I was unused to. You know, I worked at Cracker Barrel, a historically very homophobic and transphobic company. Um, and I worked for them for 17 years and I transitioned working for them. So I have went up against pretty heavy adversaries before um, and did not back down. So this was nothing really new to me. I knew that I knew that they held the power but I also knew that I was right. Exactly. And that I wasn't yeah. doing anything wrong. And if I, if I wasn't doing anything wrong, what could they, re- how could they say no? Yeah, you have right. to, this is the law. I and I'm the a citizen of this county, state, 
the United States. And the, this is why I'm the way I am about some of this stuff. Like, why the government? Yeah, Especially why the local it's so important for them to recognize the individual, you know? Period. Doesn't matter. That's, but that's also how they screw small business with tax codes. Well, the bureaucracy <laughs> in Knoxville especially is really set up to ensure the success of large business and chains to come in. That's really mm -hmm. what they want. Mm -hmm. um, while it is really set up to penalize and, and to a detriment Absolutely. small local business, uh, they just make it very difficult. I agree 100%. It is very difficult. That's why it's a small miracle what you've done in the community and how well it's grown, but also goes to show the need. Exactly. I mean, you know, for you're, you to be a pioneer, you're pioneering the way for other trans women and even trans men to be able to take charge of their dreams and manifest them and do something they love and make a living at it. You know, I mean, I and give back to the community. Southwest. You're a Dolly Parton capitalist, Jocelyn. <laughs> I'm trying well. to turn everyone into Dolly Parton capitalists, and I love that that's exactly what you are. What with I really hope is that South Press doesn't become the exception to the rule. I hope that it becomes the rule. The rule. I yeah. hope that people are able to look at what we've been able to create at South Press and emulate it in different cities and small towns across the country. And because it's very approachable. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll preface this by saying this is not uh, self-deprecation. Uh, this is, it's more about, um, there is no, I'm not a particularly talented person, meaning I'm not a good singer. I'm not a good dancer. I'm not a good actress. Uh, one thing that I am very good at is showing up consistently and working very hard until the job is done. And because, but because I'm not exceptionally smart or any of those other things, what I'm saying is it makes it approachable. Yes, you're if, authentic. If I was college educated, um, if I was 5'7 and 110 pounds with blonde hair and blue eyes, people would try to take this away from me. They would say, oh, well, she wouldn't have had it if she weren't pretty. Or oh, she wouldn't have had it if she didn't have that call. Or she wouldn't have had it if her parents didn't have money. I don't have any of those things. Yes. So if I'm able to achieve what South Press has... Um, other people can do yeah. it. Then too. other people can do it too. It's very, very attainable. Yes. We've been sold a lie about business with businesses and starting businesses. The I think the problem is you have a sweet business to the point that I mean you're community driven as well. And that's what's super important. When asked polls for young people, what they need, what they want, it's to be able to meet with other like-minded young people. And you are creating a safe, alcohol-free, drug-free space where, you know, it's a sober space. That's the word that I'm looking for. Blah. Sober <laughs> space. For young adults, all ages, moms, kids, you have a really cool little learning area, you know, with artwork, 
art creative. It's visually appealing. I mean, and it's all inclusive. I think this now, people are like straight people can't go there. Straight people can go and enjoy a nice latte. It's a we have listeners place. in many different countries. So describe your little shop for those people who who are in New Zealand and might not ever get to come. <laughs> Um, well, you know, it, I mean, it's a, it's a community space, everything down to, um, the way it's decorated, you know, we community sourced everything. So everything in the shop is something that someone else didn't want anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, that also helped, uh, economically on the front end because we didn't have to buy decor, um, because people, and we still took seven truckloads of stuff that we could not use to the car. Mm -hmm. Um, but it really always was about building community space everything from like the setup of the shop um having board games and puzzles and art supplies and comfortable couches and different kind of nooks it's a place where you can come alone and find a book and a quiet corner to melt into because you just don't really want to be alone but you don't want to talk about it mm -hmm. it's also a great place where you can come with friends to pull a board game and play it's also a great place where you can come alone and still get pulled into a game of monopoly because they need a fourth um because it's everyone who comes into the shop is also just really really nice they're grateful to be there even on a saturday morning they will wait for 45 minutes in line just to get up to the counter to be served and they're just happy to be there um and so but it's always been about building community i think from providing community space for events um to providing community space for small other small businesses I mean, we support 13 other small businesses in our day-to-day -day operations, which keeps about 80% of the revenue that we create right here in East Tennessee as well. Mm -hmm. um, it supplements by the the maker's market, which is a whole sub-economy in Knoxville right now. Yeah, I mm -hmm. can't help but feel that it's happening all over the country. But something about the pandemic shifted people's focus into supporting local more they figured out how important trades are and how important local businesses are and small business and, and how you can barter for things and well, you don't necessarily have to shh, don't say that out loud oh why are they going to come get me well they'll come start taxing me. you on what you barter this is why what I venmo is they want you to put down what you do they're tracking all of that because they need revenue shit when she pays me Venmo on there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's we always, all should do it's always ridiculous. something phallic. Always. Yeah. Whenever <laughs> I something send dirty. Uh, Radic money for the bills, because that's how we <laughs> we still just transfer our bills via Venmo. I always put for that thing I like. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that could just be yeah. Easy. There you go. Yes. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, that's what they're doing, is they're trying to figure out how to make revenue off of this. The governments are All right. everywhere, which, you know, whatever. I know, they got to do They read it. about the, how they're trying to get the Amish. Oh. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that's... Yeah. They already have been. Yeah. So. They're trying. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, you said that you're not the best singer and you're not the best dancer, but... You were a queen at one point, right? And did pageants and stuff. Yeah. I've seen them crowns I in mean, there. I won Miss Knoxville outright. All right. Uh, See? That is the only one. In every other pageant I ever entered, I was always first alternate and most beautiful. Um, I never was too bitter because now if I'd never won, if I'd ever not won most beautiful, I may have showed my butt and like. <laughs> 
pulled some roses or pushed another queen down, but I was always <laughs> pacified with first alternate and most beautiful. I never won Miss Congeniality. <laughs> and honestly, I didn't want to. Who wants hilarious. that? Pageants are weird. Nice. Well, pageants are weird. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, it was a lot easier to judge pageants because we were kind of playing by the same rules. Do you yes. know what I mean? Like this was the understanding yes. of what pageant was. Drag <laughs> as an art form has come so far out of the box now that, and it's truly viewed as an art form. Yes. So how do you judge art? Right. It's how subjective. Do you how do right. you prepare a piece of art to go out and it be judged? Like it is, and, and then there's also the skewing of the gender norms and the binary too. That, as it's happened in our society, has also happened in pageantry. And so, you know, you have bearded queens entering beauty pageants. Well, by my standard of beauty, always before, this is how we would judge that. We mm -hmm. They would never. But that's not the way things are anymore. So it's changed pageantry. But I want to say for the better, it's allowed for those kind of peculiar artists who weren't doing well in the pageant world to kind of find a spot. Um, and to, to be play. able to excel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, it. I love traditional pageants. I would, um, shit, what was I going to say? I had a pain. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to cut that out. I know. <laughs> and, um, and I've actually judged a traditional pageant. But you've said before, a drag pageant is no different than a traditional pageant as far as rules go and stuff like that. But that's changing Yeah, now. I mean, okay. listen, in the late 90s, early 2000s, we had weird things like your hair couldn't touch your shoulders. If you were in evening gown, it either had to be an updo where it mm -hmm. couldn't touch your gown. Mm -hmm. You also, as you modeled, couldn't touch your gown. So you might even come in to put your hands on your hips, but you would literally just V your hands like this and hold them to the side because touching your gown... Um, was points off. It was just like, these were automatic things. This was things that every judge was looking for. It made it easier to compete because the rules were more like, this is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And then if you didn't, but I also think the great thing about pageantry is that if you want to excel at your craft, if you want to get better at your artistic expression, it's a great way to kind of hold up that mirror of the way other people see you. Because mm -hmm. listen, I've had pieces of drag that for me, that for me is the most sickening piece of drag I've ever owned. Mm -hmm. When I put it on and walk across the stage, you could not tell me shit. Right. Just because it is the nicest piece of drag I own does not mean that it is the nicest piece of drag on the stage that night. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's my nicest piece, but other people might have something nicer. They might present it better. And so I think that that's difficult about putting yourself out there to be judged. But if you're willing to take the critique and understand that it's not personal, sometimes it is just a matter of preference. Sometimes it's knowing what the judges are looking for. When you get in national pageantry, that's a little easier to do. When it gets into local pageantry, that's really hard to do. It really could just be that one judge doesn't like, doesn't like you in red hair. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, hated, I always hated getting critiques that said, you know, the blonde hair just doesn't suit you. Um. You know, when you would wear different color hair for evening gown or something. And I always thought that's more personal preference. You know, right. if it was the, the wig is not styled well um, mm -hmm. is one thing. But aesthetic things like that, I think, are part of the reason why 
I, I probably would not enter pageantry now. Um, Why not? You'd win. <laughs> mm. um, I don't know. I think that I think that where I'm at and my focus is different. Mm. I, I don't really yep. aspire to be a drag queen anymore. Um, it it the, listen. The road is different for everyone. For me, um, Siren brought me to Jocelyn. And once I figured out who Jocelyn was, I didn't need Siren anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really have not aspired to do any drag queen in at all in the last few years. And just kind of, I don't really say no to benefit shows. Because when you that say Siren, just, are you, was that, that your... That was my drag name okay. before We are I, not talking no. about Siren Santina. No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there you go. Because uh, when you say that... No. My, yeah, we're all thinking... My drag name years ago when I did drag a decade ago was Siren Gnosis, which sounds like a VD. Um, <laughs> it was supposed to be Greek. I'm not Greek. Um, I was just, I don't know. I was in my 20s and I thought that it was cute whenever I gave myself that name. Um, so I don't know. I also just felt like, and again, this is for me, the joke of drag, um, is that, that, that is a man in a dress from that point. It's like a jumping off point to be irreverent in every other way. Right. Because the joke is, I mean, at the end of the day, I might look like a a beautiful woman, but I'm a man in a dress. I never felt like a man in a dress. And so that doesn't really fit where I'm at in my life now. I don't really like the way that I look when I'm painted up in drag. I think that it looks clownish. Um, now I'm, I'm starting the burlesque school, uh, in a couple of months. I'm I know, really we're excited. Super excited. I'm excited about that. I feel like that is a better representation of where I'm at now. And it's also a new challenge, mm-hmm. um, to kind of challenge myself creatively because I'm just recently like discovering life outside the shop. Like what does life look like when you're not working 70 to 90 hours a week and you can actually do things outside of work, like walk mm-hmm. in fashion shows or be in shadow casts. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we forgot to even mention that. I was going to, ma'am. Don't well, go think ahead. that we were going to get <laughs> yeah. out of talking about Rocky Horror. Well, you have the coveted role of Frankenfurter yes. in the Satanic Mechanics shadow cast of Rocky Horror. Are you excited? I'm very excited, but it really kind of happened by accident. I had not auditioned for anything in 20 years. Um, I figured... I wanted to audition because I wanted to get my feet wet. I wanted to see what it felt like to prepare a piece, uh, perform it for people with the intention of them judging it. I fully anticipated since it was my first time auditioning for the show to get cast as a Transylvanian. I was prepared for that. If you listen, I obviously didn't think this through. I did not think about, Oh, I'm going to be in front of 500 people in my underwear. You know what I mean? If I thought about that, I may have thought about it a little bit more. And even when the cast list came out, I thought it was a joke. Um, because I'm friends with the people in the organization, I thought they have just put this out to mess with me. I'm just going to lay quiet for uh, a little bit. And then it wasn't a joke. Um, but I'm great. I'm also really grateful to be working with a group of people, of producers and directors and, uh, people who work differently than me, um, and who are very creative and, uh, absorbing it. I'm just absorbing their creative process and kind of. I just like being a part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Having that weekly look forward to. It's a cult. I'll go ahead and tell you. So now that you're in, <laughs> yes. you're in forever. Like you're in forever. I love that Braddy's Brad. For <laughs> yeah. sure. I think that, I think, I'm and also it. love that, that it's, uh, also didn't anticipate that they would cast a heavy set middle-aged trans woman, uh, as 
Frankenfurter. I just, I guess I didn't expect that. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect that kind of inclusivity, but also didn't know these individuals very well prior to this production, like in the process of getting to know them and they're like radically inclusive and want to make sure that I look my best and that I feel my best and I'm prepared. Um, And I think it's also them entrusting me to do a good job. You Mm -hmm. know, I second guess myself a lot to have such talented people. Like behind me, believing in me makes me feel like that I can on days that I feel like I can't. I think Amen. your inner dialogue way, way has lied to you so hard. You are so much more talented than you think that you are. And you're naturally so. Yeah, and I, I know that awesome you MC think that you well. have to host. Well, that was yeah. more Work. so back in my drag queen in days, people were more so inviting me to host their show than be in it. I was definitely more of a a hostess and MC for pageants, for any kind of show that needed to, to, to be handled. But I also just never uh, get embarrassed or never like get nervous and talking in front of people. All those year in 4-H, just mm-hmm. delivering, I tore their mouth out every year in 4-H public speaking contest. <laughs> I won my classroom, my school, my county, went all the way to state every single year. Um, I just never. I love that because my yes. all my accolades came from baking bread in 4-H. Yeah. <laughs> love that. I talked a lot as well. <laughs> so, you should actually it. consider stand up as yeah. well. And People would love for you to for do uh, Mike at the Pride Center. I'd love it if you came out. Oh. I know that everybody is so busy the Thursday of the. Uh, Pride weekend, but that uh, Thursday you should pop in. <laughs> that way, I would literally have all women. She's gonna be tr- busy. It is a very girl power situation. <laughs> I'm I'm abandoning the lemonade for Pride, and I'm just gonna focus on cold brew. I mean, it's still like 150 pounds of cold brew to do. It's a lot of cold brew. It is a lot of cold brew. But I it's for like that seven. Saturday, right? It is. It's for the Saturday. We've never done a big festival before. And again, it's always, if I've never done it before, I'm not sure that I can do it. So I've sat and done the mathematics on how many cups do we need? How many bottles of syrup do we need? How many buckets Mm -hmm. of cold brew do we need? Like all these things that are such variables. It's also a huge investment on the front end. Um, And then just kind of hoping that we're going to do well enough to make it worth it. But now we're also closing (laughs) for a Pride weekend. Everybody who works for me is queer. So it almost seems like homophobic to make them work on Pride <laughs> right. Weekend. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, and you're going to be there anyway. So, I mean, you're going to be at Pride mm-hmm. yeah. anyway. So I, I don't blame you for no, doing we're gonna that. We're going to close early on Friday so that we can go do the parade together. Mm-hmm. We're going to team up and still cover the Pride Festival at the booth. But nobody has to work like eight hours. Everybody's going to work like three hours. They're going to get paid in cash so that they can go enjoy the Pride Festival yeah. We're working around the people that they want to see on the main stage. Uh, just trying to make sure that everybody still gets to enjoy Pride, mm-hmm. but that we still get to do well and represent. Yeah. And this is the largest free Pride in the South. I want people to remember that. And the That's largest wild. event in Knoxville, period. Yeah. That's like, amazing. No Very UT game, no... Uh, no music festival, no other event has brought a hundred thousand people to Knoxville. Wow. Um Yeah. They have um another festival going on at the same time. 
yeah, second bell mm-hmm. down there, which is oh, in your bell. neck of the woods. Yeah, it's on Sutter Landing, really mm-hmm. close. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they're going to shuttle because that's a UT thing. I'm hoping that they're going to shuttle them um, uh, from UT to over there because there's not parking in our neighborhood to support a music festival. <laughs> there's just not. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh, no. The last time we did second bell, that was horrible trying to get in and out of there. Mm-hmm. And we've done the burlesque show. And yeah, the comedy, and comedy, the comedy mm-hmm. show there as but I well. I love Setry Landing. It's a beautiful park. It is. It is gorgeous. We have a lot of very pretty places in Knoxville. Knoxville is, a, this whole area is beautiful. So. I mean, I, I love it. Knoxville, but I'm always going to be a hard sell on South Knoxville. Well, yeah. I, mean, I know that better because <laughs> of Kodak and Sevierville and all that. So funny, I worked in Pigeon Forge for years and years. Now, Fountain City is a little more progressive than Powell is up there. It's a little more conservative because yeah. I had joked with you. I was like, we need to put a North Press up there. Well, minutes, now that no the problem. Broadway Viaduct is open again, I think that... While the Henley Street Bridge was down, people were so mm-hmm. used to it taking an extra 25 minutes to go around that they didn't go to South Knoxville. It caused South Knoxville to die a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then after they got the Henley Street Bridge opened back up, they closed down the Broadway Viaduct, which mm-hmm. then again directed people through downtown or back to James Watt Parkway. And so South Knoxville, whenever you uh, essentially kill all the traffic on a road for five years. Yes. Every business in South Knoxville that wasn't a check cash in place or a chain restaurant went out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and whenever yeah. you have a bunch of abandoned business uh, businesses or buildings like that, naturally um, the, the homeless population is going to move in. There's no one there to tell them that they can't be there. Right. And so South Knoxville, specifically that strip of Chapman is just recently like coming back to life Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're getting all the traffic back, but it's also a lot of young people who uh, who are progressive, who want things like the Imes Nature Center and the Aussie King Park and the Setry Landing Park, mm-hmm. and to be, you know, thirty five minutes away from the national park. It's drawing a lot of people to that side who are progressive and young. I mean, on our street alone, every house with the exception of one has sold in the last six years, all to people who moved in. They were rentals before because we live in those little row houses, mm-hmm. uh, the little cottages. They mm-hmm. were they were they were built in the fifties for the miners who worked in the uh, the marble quarries. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. that's why they're all cookie cutter. I lived in a little house like that too. Um, are they? Do you feel like they're gentrifying that area? Now? I don't know. When I, I go down Severe Avenue. I mean, that's what it looks like to me, is that yes. they're trying I mean, to push. I, I think that there is, a, there is a way to look. I feel like uh, when you... South Knoxville used to be very thriving, though. Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah, now it's coming back. When, you know, we would visit in the 90s, like my parents, that's when they first started coming up here pretty regular. But now that it's coming back and investors are saying that they can make some money off of it, they're, you know, they're pushing. That's, that's really the point to make is that it's the, the gentrifiers are the ones who are coming in and tearing down, um, you know, old housings of businesses or other apartment complexes and then replacing that housing with 
unaffordable housing yes. or giant apartment complexes that have multiple, uh, you know, facilities in the mm-hmm. in the ba- the base floor. I'm not against progress. I think that when you move, when rich folks come in and essentially drive poor folks, working class people out of their own neighborhoods and price them out of their own neighborhoods, that's a bad thing. Um, But when you have small businesses, I I don't think that Southwest or businesses like it are wealthy enough to be considered gentrification. Mm -hmm. But I think that we are definitely the ones that are bringing value back to the area. Do you know what I mean? Yes. The quality oh, of life and the value yep. is there. Yes. Um, but I mean, naturally, those other folks are going to move in because they're going to go where the, the foot traffic is. Um, so I don't know. South Knoxville is in this weird reemergence, kind of rebirth phase where she's still trying to figure out who she is. Mm-hmm. Um, I do worry. I'll tell you what I worry about. There are like... Well over a thousand apartments, new apartments, turning over keys in the next few months, mm-hmm. um, all on the south side of the river. But we only have one nail salon. We only have oh, one no. grocery. Unless you're going all the way down, down to Mountain Grove, we have one mm-hmm. grocery store. So when you have this huge influx of people, yeah, where 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 are the resources? Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have to build infrastructure uh, ahead of time before the growth. Mm-hmm. In order, otherwise you end up with, and I hate to compare it to this, but Nashville used to be a lovely city and they grew so fast and they didn't build out their infrastructure and mm-hmm. the resources to support the influx in population. And now it is almost unbearable. Yes, that is where I'm from. And it is a absolute nightmare now to, to, get go, gas, down, to go down there. To yes. get gas, to go into a restaurant and eat. I mean, uh. The, the crime is up because the people have been, the working class people have been priced out of their homes. That's also something in the last two years that we're probably not talking about enough is how many people who were a part of the workforce two years ago yes. who lost their job due to the pandemic, who are now homeless, who were trapped in the cycle of homelessness, mm-hmm. but not because they're not willing to work, but because they can't get out of the cycle. Um, there's just... God, and that's what people don't understand when when you've got assholes out here saying, well, everybody's hiring, everybody's hiring. That's what's great about Knox Pride and them being able to get clothing that they might need, mm-hmm. um, get toiletries, get things to clean themselves up so that they can go to an interview. You know, like you said, they're having a hard time getting out of that. If somebody walks in dirty and looks like they're homeless they're not going to get hired nope. and i don't i don't care what anybody I says i know it's true and for a long time they've glamorized living out of vans you oh know out yeah of, that too out of living out of campers out of you know and now they can't get into a apartment they don't have them you know there's a shortage of things well now it's becoming illegal to even live in your car or live in your van because there's nowhere because what was it did the state of tennessee pass that you can't camp anywhere like on public um public campgrounds or anything like that the smokies and all that is federal well i'm not even talking about so but i mean you can't camp 24 hours or whatever or you can only camp for so long I mean, they're yeah. just making poverty illegal. 
but making the path to get out of poverty impossible. impossible. Yeah. Um, and, and then this is also why the work that Knox pride does is so important is that, uh, yes, they are a LGBT organization, but they turn no one away who needs help. And sometimes you just need somebody to care about you for a minute. Mm-hmm. You just need somebody to care enough to put something in your hand to eat mm-hmm. and give you some toiletries. Cause I, I think that, um, being stable looks different for everybody. Um, and at any point in our life, we all need different things to be stable in that moment. And sometimes it's the little things like warmth. If you're mm-hmm. cold, a pack of hot hands for your pocket and your yes, hands makes all the difference. makes all the difference in the world. If you are hungry, a muffin and a hot or a is, pack of crackers, yeah, is, you know, is, is anything. Yeah, yeah anything. that is for that moment. You know, you didn't know that everything was going to be okay, but in that moment, you're okay. And I think that that's a gift that we can give. I think that just that moving in the direction of having more humanity for others. Jocelyn's a burner. Heart. <laughs> you have a burner heart. I don't know your um, <laughs> economic situation when you were younger, but I grew up poor, poor as dirt. And I feel like these days people haven't struggled enough and they don't have, and it's all apathy. They don't have any empathy for that other person because they, because they just haven't struggled I mean, I think that it's also, I think that that some of it is that, um, you know, my, my daddy is the youngest of 12. My mom's the middle child of seven. There just wasn't much else to do in the mountains. Um, (laughs) both grew up extremely poor. Um, and I remember being a kid and because I was the youngest, by the time I got a plate of food, there was no meat or potatoes left. So I would Mm -hmm. eat cornbread and milk for dinner. Mm -hmm. Now I never starved. I never went without food. I just, that sometimes I just, you I just got the lowest on the totem pole. I, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that I also don't have memories without community organizing in them. Even though we were poor, my mom was big on coat drives and canned food drives for the, for the food pantry there in Newport. You know, mm-hmm. I think she, instead of, I looked as, as Newport as I got to get out of here. Mama looked around and said, these Everybody's really help. struggling. These people need my help. Mm-hmm. And so she stayed. You'd really have a hard time finding somebody in Cock County who had something bad to say about my mama. But more importantly, you would you would find 10,000 who would have positive things to say about the way she's impacted her life. And so I think that growing up, even though we didn't have a whole lot, what we did have, we we shared. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's also definitively what community is, is that we all have something to bring to the table that's valuable. Mm-hmm. And what you bring might be very different than what I bring, but they're both very much needed for the community to thrive. Yes. And I think that's a testament to why South Press is successful, is that we hold, we don't try to do it all. We just hold space for you to come and do great work. It's what makes Knox Pride work. Yes. You know, they built mm-hmm. this net of support. Because I think that a lot of the organizations meant to help homeless folks and, and queer youth have always existed. They've just not been interconnected. And what Knox Pride has done has been able to build this web to where there yes. is an organization to get them in off the street and love them um, and clean them up. And then there's an organization to put some food in their hands. Mm-hmm. And then there's another organization that helps get them SNAP benefits and health insurance. 
Then the Pride Center takes them back in and teaches them how to get a KUB bill in their name, mm-hmm. how to build a credit score, you know, how to do all these things that if they are to be happy, healthy, well-adjusted adults, yes. they're going to need. And they're able to do that without really straining the system because they're just connecting all the dots. Yes, they're taking care of them like community was meant to mm-hmm. do. This is what community is supposed to do. And the resources are out there from a um, from the state, from the county, I'll but they don't. You, private funding is the only way that things are going to get done, um, and that's individual. And the cool thing is, but Knox Pride also things, links those people to those oh, resources yeah. because you know the state is not going to put those out. Correct. Now that's the thing. Everything that Jocelyn just said on life skill classes, you have to know the right questions to ask to get help. That's the problem. They have tons of resources, but if you have no idea how to utilize those resources, they're no good whatsoever. So, um, yes, they're amazing. I'm just talking about to run the Pride Center. Oh, like I, yeah. the state does not give enough money. Private. Well, there's no funding for the Pride Center. Correct. It's done solely off of donations. There's also a difference in. Um, the expectation of participation on the other end of receiving assistance. And what I mean by that is that some of the other organizations in Knoxville, in order to receive your meal, you're going to need to sit through a prayer yeah. meeting. Right. In order yeah. to receive your mental health evaluation, we're going to need to pray with you first. Um, now, if you have religious trauma, if you just don't subscribe to that, you don't want to participate, yeah, you don't have a choice. If you want to eat then you have to. And Knox Pride has removed that as a factor. Yes. There is no expectation of participation in life skills classes. If you need food, have food. Correct. Um, Oh, yeah, definitely. But also, I think that because they organize that way, they're literally um, growing their own volunteers. Uh, The Knox Pride Center has been almost a year now, a little over a year now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Been in operation. And the same kids who a year ago walked through that door for the first time, feeling pretty hopeless, feeling pretty helpless, are now the ones that have come back with their vehicle, taking the other kids to buy groceries and to go to job interviews and get to and from work. They're like, they got to the hill instead of saying, whew, that was really hard to climb. They turned around and said, and reached out their hand and offered help to the people who were coming up the hill behind them. And I think that that's what makes it, really sustainable um, is that the more people you help, the more people you having engaging in the community. And then the easier it is for us to all be good. You know what I mean? To make sure that nobody has to go without. Correct. Yeah, definitely. I was talking about having fundraisers there at the center to put well, we money back the into the store in the world at Knox pride, but it's really those large volunteers. Those, and well, it's these large corporations. If you want to put your money where your mouth is, they need to definitely. That, yeah. And I am so proud of John. <laughs> I, I mean, I've known John bef- for a while now and just his, the way he has evolved into the person that he is today I'm just, I'm proud of you, John. I love you. I I'm love just... John, too. <laughs> Everybody loves John. <laughs> the minute you meet him, you love him. 
I mean, I hope so. that I'm hoping that more people will engage with the 40 events that Knox Pride has mm-hmm. going on each month. Um, but also, there's also if everybody in our community would go to knoxpride.com and just pledge that monthly. If all you can afford is a dollar, pledge a dollar. Yeah. If you can afford five, if you can afford twenty, if you can afford a hundred, there are people in our community who can who can yes. afford that top. If we all pitched in, we would have enough funding for the Pride Center. Because think about the reverberations that the Pride Center sends out into our community from that tiny little 300 square foot space. Mm -hmm. Think about how many lives they're changing. Think of how many lives they're saving. Yes. Out of that space, just by simply showing up every day and doing the work. Um, And it's all volunteer based. Nobody, nobody's getting paid. Correct. Um, Yes. And if there has been backlash, I personally have not seen any of it. From yeah, no. I think every I think they're wonderful about vetting intentions in space and they've they've protected that space as well as the fact that everybody belongs. It's family. They're home. Okay, I got to pee. This is why it's homecoming, I think, <laughs> is because everyone feels at home. It's, it's also the 30th year of Pride. So that's why it's homecoming too. Pride that's started amazing. in Knoxville in 1993. Now oh, that cool. wasn't my first one. I didn't make it down here till 1997. Um, but I remember the early days of Pride. I wasn't even I wasn't even old enough to get in the carousel yet. I would sit on the stone outside on the stone wall outside. That's so wild. I'm a transplant here from Florida to Kodak in 04. So I was stuck in Sevierville Pigeon Forge that area i like pigeon forge all right but i did hair up there so it was fun i used to do dolly parton's brother randy's hair yeah Uh. so that was fun he's you know he passed away but he was funny it was cool but my daughter loves you she diamond paints down at south press i think that it's awesome i do love everything that pride center's doing you know, I'm thrilled about that. I'm a PTA fundraiser mom at heart. So I think about stuff like that. I think of all the stuff that we've been able to get done or people are able to get done to donate properly to places that are nonprofits. Because the volunteers are very, very, very important. But making sure that all everything that they need are taken care of, whether it be money for toiletries or to help a person to have a deposit to put something down you still got to generate an income mm-hmm. for the nonprofit, and so um fundraising is really important as well and things cures for diseases and things like that have come from private donation and funding that's what i'm talking about with being outside of the government and people should make the big corporations pay if they're not going to pay taxes which i don't trust the government to do everything they're supposed to do invest in communities you know put it back into oh, the community those without a doubt should be held accountable for minimum 30 percent. if that's what taxes you pay as a business is a minimum and they should have to show literally 
where it's been put into the community, unless their community has an extreme revenue on its own, then that should be put into a community that has less revenue. I mean, I think in our lifetime, um, much by their own doing, uh, we'll see an end to uh, the the majority uh, of organized religion in this country, especially. I think that the young people don't necessarily subscribe to it in the same way as my parents' generation did. Mm-hmm. On the uptick, there's going to be some lovely real estate available for fairly cheap. I mean, <laughs> lovely, like, entertainment venues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they typically already have a commercial kitchen in them. So I'm excited about all the empty churches that we're going to see <laughs> over the course of the next 10 years. That's I feel bad, wild. though, for, for very small churches like that. My grandfather was a pastor, Um and he would only preach in very small churches in around Tennessee, um, places like Orlinda. I mean, places you've never even heard of before. And those particular churches have a, you know, their church is their little community right there. So I feel bad for those. I don't feel bad for mega churches. But I don't think those are going to go away anytime soon. I mean, I think that I think that they're going to fizzle. I think that because they're so corrupt, they're going to fizzle as well. I guess from my point of view, um, I'm in favor of that kind of dissolution because as a queer oh, person growing up in Southern Appalachia, even if I had not grown up in a Christian household where we went to church on Wednesday night and Sunday morning, you still receive the message if you grow up here that mm-hmm. something is the matter with you. That there's something like a a fault with your queerness and that Mm -hmm. you'll never quite be as good as. Um, And that message is received no matter what. And so I think that it's about, for me, it's about resenting the shame that was imposed upon me for me just being me. Um, Do you still hold on to some of that? um, I'm not That deconstruction? I'm not open to hearing the Christian message. I'm not open to entertaining it. I'm not, I I do not want you to pray for me. I don't want you to say you're going to pray for me. I'm not the type of person who appreciates that. There are people who do. There are even people who don't believe it, who still can appreciate the sentiment. I'm not one of those people. I have a lot of religious trauma. Um, I have a lot of like conversion therapy trauma centered around, Mm. uh, the religion. And so I'm not really open to it. Um, but do you hold, do you still hold those things or are you past I, those? I think, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt said that shame dies when stories are shared in safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I feel like that is the purpose of South Press. I feel like that's the purpose of places like the Pride Center is if you hold safe space for people to come and exist. I think it's something that we practice. I don't think that I got good at letting go of my shame. I don't think that I just let it go one day and I was healed and I was all better. I think that I took, I took risks, um, in spaces that felt like, cause like you said, those small churches are community spaces. So, mm-hmm. and coffee shops are community spaces. Mm-hmm. So when you start getting into, I'm creating queer safe space, sometimes the emotion evoked is going to be the same one that you experience in churches or in other like Christian based coffee shops. So I think it's about absorbing the things about those experiences that are positive, that make me feel good, 
but then also kind of uh, acknowledging the things that are triggering and, and not allowing those things to fester. Um, That's called boundaries. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and it's also just growing through that stuff, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. That's, there's a lot to unpack. I mean, I am grateful I did not grow up with that yeah, same kind of. Yeah. She of, grew up, her mother was pagan. So, she wasn't very, uh, you know, I Whereas, mean, she still believed in God and all of that, but she, it was not a, you know, you have to be this way, you have to be that way. And I'm a little more like you, though, every Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, you know, Thursday night it is youth night, vacation Bible school, you know, Ugh. yeah. And I'm still going, I'm still holding on to a little bit of that trauma because my, I love Jesus and I love his teachings and I love what he represents there and the love for, for everyone, despite what other people say, Jesus loved everyone. He didn't hang around with the, you know, with the rich men. He hung around with the poor and the downtrodden and I would guess I would consider myself more spiritual than anybody else because I want to, I just want to give back to people the things that have been given to me. And, and I think that's what I say when I say take yeah. what take what applies and leave the rest mm-hmm. is that yeah. I think that you could take the things that Jesus talked about in the Bible and those spiritual principles and if you apply those to your life, you're probably going to be a much better Christian than most self-prophesied Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, well, don't you usually me. don't have to yeah. tell people. Yeah. When, you know, if you're, if you are, yeah. if you're walking or, I mean, you can be very principled as well. Like, you know, but a lot of times I'm agnostic too, because I just don't know. And I'm not going to sit here and tout and say that I do know That's the yeah. church, yeah. the church that don't nobody know for sure. Don't just nobody know. Make people feel good. But I'm also people. of the mind that if I'm wrong, um, the legacy that I have left here behind me is being a kind person and helping people. And if there is a creator who would throw me into eternal damnation in spite of me being an otherwise good person on earth because of who I love, yeah. well, then I really don't want to spend eternity with them anyway. I, exactly. You I don't I mean? believe yeah. that that's who that is. I think that there's a lot of, anyway, be you. Unapologetically. I don't know how we got on the topic of religion. (laughs) I think people are surprised. Well, you have um, a mutual friend of mine that was recently married. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, and you did the lemonade and they had a um, religious ceremony. And there were some kids. I was at the back of the auditorium and... I was like, oh, baby, are you triggered? And they they were like, yeah, I am. And I was like, well, just stand here with me. It is, it'll be fine. You know, that's really fine. Triggered by the religious ceremony? Yes, because, I mean, and it was a um, Episcopalian, which is kind of a little Catholic light. Uh, And so they, um, you know, and, but it was still beautiful and, 
they made it through and nobody tried to change anyone or disrespect anyone's love because it was about just love, which is what that's supposed to be. If you for real believe, if you're a Christian, whatever, then you have to believe love. And if you're acting hateful, then you're not doing right. It doesn't matter who. So there's no hate like Christian love. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I learned the hard way or the easy way or whatever, but that's, I have a different, I just have a different type of thing. You do. And I like that. I like that about you. I like that, that you didn't grow up like that and you can't relate. Sorry. Get off the show. (laughs) (laughs) What is the future? Jocelyn? Um, Right now, the future just holds like doing good business, um, holding safe space, curating good shows. Um, I think ultimately I would really like to own the building that we operate out of um, or ultimately at least be in closer proximity. We're such good community partner with Knock Pride. Mm -hmm. I would eventually like for us to... uh, I would love for you to take that space above it. ...exist in closer proximity. Mm Um. But I think that for now, we're just doing the best we can. We want to, uh, we, we recently just got fully staffed and we have a great staff that are really invested in the space and who want to see it do well and, um, who are, who are creative and, and trying to enrich not just the space, but help me, um, as the curator of the space do good work. Um, so I don't know. I think that uh, the future holds more success i think that um i'm gonna grab a hold of everybody behind me that wants to come and we're just Mm -hmm. if i'm coming up uh everybody else is too do you know what i mean they're welcome i'm I'm certainly not gonna achieve any type of success uh on some mountaintop alone i just don't no i I I mean right you can achieve success by stepping on other people's backs to get to where you're going but I always you kind of figured that, if I go out of business of doing the right thing, I'll at least sleep good at night knowing that, the, I mean, that's why, I, I mean, our whole business model is that if you came to the shop today and you couldn't afford to pay for that cup of coffee, you're still getting that cup of coffee. You're still mm-hmm. getting a chicken salad croissant. You're still getting everything that you wanted because I don't want to, for cost to inhibit people from coming and sharing the space. If you need South Press to be a safe space for you, mm-hmm. not having the money to buy something is not something that should prevent you from coming. So yeah. um, I just, I've always kind of figured that, that we could afford to do that. And if we couldn't, then, you know, so hopefully I, I don't anticipate failing, but if we did, somebody else would surely step up and well, I'm a full believer and, in when you give out like that, it's going to come back to you tenfold. 100%. It will. So every free cup of coffee that you give out because somebody didn't have it it's going to come back to you it's also just the growing up as a poor person Mm -hmm. um and even through my adult life i've never been wealthy or been well off at all whenever i get a little money in this hand the first thing that i want to do is give it away right you know what i mean i'm like i do when someone comes by the shop and is like oh here's five hundred dollars we just wanted to help i'm like cool let's go buy some hot hands for a homeless neighbor so that they'll have have warm hands and warm feet tonight so 
I think that that's also a thing. It makes me a terrible businesswoman. Yes. And draws it Braddock does. at the I got wall. the Dolly He's Parton like, part of that being a Dolly Parton capitalist, <laughs> right? But I'm really terrible at the capitalist part. I am. I'm I not a great a... businesswoman. I, I, um, I lead with my heart. <laughs> um and and but you know the good thing about that is that when I don't I also don't overextend myself and when I need help I'm able to go to our wonderful community and say hey I would really like to get hot hands for for you know for our yes. homeless neighbors can you all help and my cash app and Venmo blow up now one thing that I always do because I am always transparent when we raise funds is share how much we raised mm -hmm. and then the receipt where I bought yes. everything mm -hmm. and spent every bit because I think that transparency builds trust. Yes. People know that when they donate to any cause that we're raising money for, that that money, 100% of that money is going into the cause that we raised it for. And there's never any question. There's never been any question. And that's, yeah. that's unheard of here. People just do not do that. And so I commend you. Absolutely. Show that receipt. I oh, yeah. wouldn't have it any yeah. other way. I like it. Also, it's a matter of. Uh, what other dreams do you have other than your queer coffee shop? Um, I now mean, that I'm, you're getting your life, you know, <laughs> a life outside of it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I like the idea of opening up another business. Queer uh, comedy club, theater, cabaret. I would love, listen, I would love, love, love to have a community theater. I believe that the funding would come for that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, We're manifesting it. Don't worry. Yes. Well, I just yeah. think there there are. Those things exist. There's mm -hmm. one in Atlanta that just presents queer uh, storylines. Mm -hmm. They have writers in-house that prepare them. Even if they purchase the rights to an established play, they cast both leads in same-sex or same-gender mm -hmm. roles so that it's still a queer storyline. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a, an investment on the front end, mm -hmm. but now every production they do just feeds the funding for the next production. Yes. And then there are people who, who are donors who kind of keep the theater itself going. I think that I wish that we had a space like that here for performance art that was specifically a theater style um, mm -hmm. performance space that would also mm -hmm. be sober. You know right. what I mean? I think mm -hmm. that we are at no uh, lack of uh, performance spaces that are alcohol centered. I would love to see more sober spaces pop up, which again, is probably not great for business. It probably makes the most sense to want to be like the only social, social sober queer space, but I don't want to be, I hope it spreads like wildfire. I think the health. I think people are learning to the dangers of alcohol and how, you know, in excess, especially in excess, the problems that arise and it it lowers your vibration. You know, if you want to get on a higher level with people spiritually, alcohol is not the way to go. Well, I just think that in alcohol-centered spaces, often there is a presumed forgiveness that comes with it. Um, the, uh, oh, I cussed you out or said something hurtful while well, I was drunk, so you can't be too mad at me. Or, oh, I kissed your boyfriend or, oh, worse. You know what I mean? Right. I think that when you remove the emotional rocket fuel that is alcohol, uh, people are able to conversate. They are able to have discourse even mm -hmm. um, and change the way we think. We're able to have real back and forth in a, in a safe and healthy kind of way. I mean, bars serve a purpose. I'm not, I'm not a prude. I don't drink myself, but 
if that's what you find fun, then go do that. I'm just saying that there has to be an alternative. It can't be the only place that we have social interaction. There has to be a space for people who are in recovery. There has Mm -hmm. to be a space for people who just aged out of being in a nightclub who don't want to be out till three in the morning. And then also for these young folks, um, specifically in my instance, where they need to see adult queer people who are happy and healthy and well-adjusted. Yes, not just in the bar scene. Because, I mean, back in the day, that's the only place you would ever see a lot of queer people together was just a bar scene. And as a rural queer, Mm -hmm. growing up, I see no adult queer people who were happy, healthy, and well-adjusted. And so it instilled in me that there was no way I was ever going to be. I didn't plan past my teens. So when I got into my 20s, I had no idea what I was doing because I had not planned to live this long. When I got into my 30s, it was kind of the same thing. It wasn't that until my heart. It, like, it wasn't what? until about 33 that life zoomed out for me and I was able to see that, oh, wow, I, I can actually build a life for myself. So I kind of got a late start. Um, I what feel did like you feel was going to happen. I mean, because I, d- I didn't know that By it was... your hand or someone else's? I definitely, definitely have found myself um, on more than one occasions through my 20s, through my teens mm-hmm. and my 20s where I was suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, greatly in part to the fact that I didn't see any adult queer people who were happy and healthy. So if I didn't see any, they must not exist. So I kind of just figured that it was my fate. Um, and then also, I mean, there is an absolute epidemic of the murder of trans people in this country every year for the last eight years. It's been more every year than it was the year prior. Um, And so it is, it is uh, in my life. It is a possibility that I will be physically assaulted. Uh, It is a, it is a necessary evil that I check the scan the room to see if anybody's watching me go into a restroom it is also a cultural imperative and, that and I... I hope I didn't upset you. No, no. Um, this is just the reality. It's also right, yeah. a, a cultural imperative that when I exit a restroom, I am braced to take a hit. Um, because it is likely, especially in this region, that it would happen. Now, uh, I don't... I, I say that because I, I don't stop using the public restroom. I still go in and I still brace myself Absolutely. with a hit when it's, I come out. You're right to do so because i'm not doing anything wrong um and and part of of things like the bathroom bills uh what that is really about is about legislating trans people out of existence because if we can't go to the bathroom we can't go to the grocery store Mm -hmm. um and so that's that's just part of the reality of being trans in america um it's not that it doesn't happen in other countries just america's numbers Every year has been bloodier than the previous every single year. And it can't go without saying that within that demographic of the trans women that are being murdered every year, that 98% of them are trans women of color, you know, so it extends past just gender identity and sexuality. It's absolutely a race issue too. And I don't think that we can deal with one without the other. Um, That's why I tell people, if you know a trans person, especially a trans person of color at this time in our culture, in in America, it is time to hold them close and love them. Make sure you're walking them to the bathroom. Make sure you're walking them to their car. 
um, because it is dangerous out here. There's a lot of uh, radical ideas being spread around about trans people. There is. And that I, are not based in truth. Right. But it's still harmful. It just makes me so mad. So mad. I would, I would punch somebody in the fucking throat and go to jail. And I hate, it makes me so mad that you have to have that thought in your head every time you go into a public restroom. Yeah, that's I just fucking insane hate that. to me. And as a straight ally, what can we do to help our trans community? I think that it's, it's about being protective, making sure that we're walking them to their car, making sure that we're walking them to the bathroom, especially if we're in a place that they feel uneasy. Um, I think it's also about not tolerating transphobic jokes and transphobic banter, when, even when trans people aren't present. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that uh, if someone call, if you know a trans person's real name and someone you know is dead naming them, calling that to the carpet. Uh, Dead naming and misgendering are violence against trans people. When you look at uh, the likelihood of trans people committing suicide, I think not respecting those very simple, um, just very human requests, mm -hmm. um, I think that's that's a way to be a good ally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we've discussed the grace of um, how to handle it when you do misgender or when it's an accident and you know and we've discussed also the you can definitely tell the emotion behind it or what's really uh i just want to punch well, people in the fucking face but i just I mean. it <laughs> kills me to think that you have to worry about being abused in the bathroom you know and that's other women in there <clears throat> Like I mean, the woman-on-woman -woman violence is a very, that upsets me as well. As far as straight people go, do you have more problems from straight men or straight women? Um, I find that um, I also uh, am, am blessed uh, with the large chest. And so typically... People don't make it past my breasts. We call it clocking in the trans community when they transvestigate you and try to figure out if you're trans or if you're cis. Um, with <laughs> men, I just um, I literally have seen men who look at me um, and find me attractive. You can tell in their affect and their gaze mm -hmm. and where they're looking. But then when they realize that's when most likely I will receive violence from uh, cis hat men is when they feel like I have tricked them. Uh, even if I've spoken to them, I mean, usually the lash out comes from their, their lingering gaze with women. I usually, I feel like the problem with, with some women that I have met is that they, um, they feel like because I don't have the capability of bearing children that I'm not a real woman. That they would take my whole womanhood based away from me based on my anatomy alone. But they wouldn't do that to a barren woman who had a uterus. Right. They wouldn't take her entire womanhood. And when you look at transness as a birth defect, meaning that I was meant to be a woman in every sense of the word. You know what I mean? I, 
I, in my instance, my, they told my mother she was having a girl right on up until the day I was born. When I came out, they had girl stuff bought. Mm-hmm. They had girl name picked out. They had to figure everything out. Um, you know, I, I was always meant to be a woman. I had a birth defect. Um, and I have medically transitioned to right that birth defect. You know what I mean? If someone uh, was was born with another birth defect and they went, underwent mm-hmm. medical treatment to correct it, we wouldn't uh, just like my grandson. Them. Yes. Yeah. Anything. My grandson had to have a two million dollar genetic uh, surgery in order to take care of his birth defect. Uh-huh. Are you going to see anybody out there saying he's not real? He's not a real human mm-hmm. because of that. Uh, to those people, I'll say, get the fuck out of here. I just. I do think that the world is changing. I think that kids today. Kids today are really are going to be what changes the world mm-hmm. because they don't really subscribe to the idea of sexuality or gender. They just want to be who they are and they want to like who they like. Um, and I think that that mentality growing into mature adults, they're going to carry that into the way that they legislate, the way they vote, the way they legislate, mm-hmm. the way they uh, the, the community leaders that they put in power yeah. are going to be like minded. And so I have to hope that that we're going to see a change in my lifetime. I hope so. I, I hope, hope that, so too. I hope especially places like Knox Pride and South Press are helping facilitate that. Mm-hmm. I hope so. <laughs> Definitely. I tell mine all the time. Uh, my youngest are 23 and 20 and I'm like, you guys are the future. I can't really do anything more right now than what I'm doing. Yeah. I can go protest and I can, but I'm 50 years old there. I'm invisible to this yeah, world we now. had our shot yeah so, <laughs> so girls and we've you know i like the people for the most part that we've raised because those these are kids making a difference these are kids who refuse to accept the status quo these are kids who are starting to question why are lawmakers a hundred years old yeah you know why are they... Why does Congress give themselves a raise? Why are they not listening to us? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they finally got some information. And now, though, the fight is on disinformation. Just like Jocelyn said, there's so many things people do not know about the trans community. And... It all goes back to people fear what they don't understand. Yes, but they're not always. willing to sit down... And understand it. But I think the way we always facilitate change is through personal connection. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first moved to Florida um, a few years ago. Where did you live there? Uh, in uh, Fort Myers. Okay. Um, I moved down there to pursue a relationship that didn't pan out, but I transferred Cracker Barrels. So mm-hmm. I went in as a par four skill trainer into this new Cracker Barrel Um, I had already transitioned, so I didn't tell anybody my tea. As far as they knew, I was just a cornbread country girl from from Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Um, And my partner and I had a child there, so it was very, I just didn't talk about my transness. It was just a Mm non-issue. And then North Carolina introduced a bathroom bill. And it was the first big uh, anti-trans legislation that had hit the public ballot. Um... Maybe ever. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was a big in the news. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And these, um, you know, I worked day shift at Cracker Barrel. At this point, I had been with the company 12, 13 years. Um, I worked with those women, and 
they started saying the most horrific things about trans people, you know, being perverts and just trying to get into women's restrooms and this and that. And finally, after a couple of days of just the conversation being drawn out and it just being derogatory, I, I they forced my hand at coming out and I said, you know, you all like and respect me. You think I'm a good mom. You know, you think that I'm a good server. You like working with me. You like and respect me. How would you feel if I said that I was trans and you were saying all of these things as if they applied to me and they were very dismissive. Oh, well, no, no, we know that that's, you know, we know that you're not these things. And I said, but I am those things. At least I am. Mm -hmm. If you say that all trans people are those things. Um, and because they had already established a connection to me and they respected me, the dynamic didn't change. They had to change the way they thought about trans people. Um, that's the hope, isn't it? That they familiarity stops the lack of knowledge yeah. you know i mean everybody knows a trans person you just might not know that right trans. correct you, exactly i think so i i know so because i've known a lot of trans people that i had no idea were trans right and did you even care no like, no you just never liked have... them because of who they are as a person yes but it's also unless yeah. you're trying to sleep with them, it's none of your business right? what they're right. genitalia yeah. Like Thank if you. we are just meeting and you're already contemplating what my genitalia looks like, that is not something that is on me. Yeah, that's that is yeah, something that that's is on you. you. Like one hundred percent preoccupied with my private parts. That yes. is a you problem. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I think that that's the thing too. Is now, if you're not sexualizing everyone, you're not going to. So notice. my four-year-old grandbaby who's very inquisitive, she is going through the phase of, Gigi, is that a boy or a girl? And she asks me all the time about anybody who who she sees maybe dresses different or um, she actually said something today. We were at Walmart getting a heating pad and uh, a gentleman came through the door and he had purple hair and a, a poetic justice uh, shirt and looks really cute and she goes oh he's super pretty and I was like he is pretty but she didn't ask is that a boy or a girl she does ask that occasion what I usually go why do you want to know or does it matter what advice can you give me as the grandmother of a four-year-old inquisitive child who might on a whim come in South Press and go, Gigi, is that a boy or a girl? I don't know. I think that we've, as adults, especially as like woke adults, we've gotten away from like assuming people's gender. Mm -hmm. We're kind of assuming that since they have long hair, that must be a girl. Or since he has a flat chest, it must be a boy. Um, and I think that with children, much from the mouths of babes, like they're going to mm -hmm. say it regardless. Um I think that it's okay to say, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure that we need to know. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? I, yeah. think, I think they can be pretty whether they're a boy or a girl. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't matter. Just like they can be handsome whether they're a boy or a girl. Mm -hmm. I would say rather than focus on gender, um, to rather focus on the things that they like about the person. Okay. Right? Do, yeah. Do, what do you like yeah. about? Yeah. What What is yeah. it that caught your eye? Because a lot of people just, especially now that non-binary is like part of the vernacular because mm -hmm. it wasn't like mm -hmm. 20 years ago when I transitioned, we didn't now 
clinicians, psychiatrists, psychologists knew what non-binary was, but that wasn't in the everyday vernacular of people. We weren't just calling people that. When we had David Bowie. Well, right, in the 80s, Grace Boy Jones. Jones. Yeah, we yeah. had Jones non-binary people. Androgynous. Yeah, that's yeah, what but people... we didn't have like a, a tie. Like a, no, there wasn't a label no. for it. <laughs> um, and so I think now, especially that like, it's not a matter of, is that a boy or a girl? Cause you know, she could ask yeah. that about someone who's non-binary who presents very androgynous anyway. And it's like at that point, and that's where, that's where she that's where you it, can see the confusion on her face. And that's normally when she asks, is that a boy or a girl? When she, I think it's okay to say, I don't know, but they look cool. Don't they? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's because obviously answer. they look cool. Otherwise she wouldn't right. have taken notice of them. Mm-hmm. I think it's always, it's also whoever, if, if that person, if that person hears that and they are non-binary, trust me when I say they're going to be listening to your response. You know what I mean? When they mm-hmm. hear the child ask that question, mm-hmm. they are going to be listening and you have the power in that moment to make their day uh, or to ruin it. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like some people would choose, well, yeah. well, obviously that's a boy, you know what I mean? And ruin their day. And I think that, um, I think that it's okay to say, I don't know. And I'm not sure that we need to know. Right. Or I, I don't know, but they look cool. Don't they? Yeah. That would yeah. be the coolest answer, I think. But why, Gigi? Why? She's definitely my granddaughter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it has been such a joy having you fun. on. And I feel like we probably didn't get to talk about half of what we wanted to talk about. Yeah, no, But we did best my podcast, Hyman. I'm so excited about that. Is that is very exciting because it was your first <laughs> in our 100th. I know. I keep gushing about it, but. It's a big accomplishment. Y'all should be proud of yourself. I feel like it is. It has. It's And we also started in full, September of 2020. That's when we yes. launched over there. So, oh, yeah, babies, celebrating exciting. anniversaries. Do you have anything like big coming up for your second anniversary? Um, Braddock is going to cook. Uh, he's bringing the grill down next Saturday. Uh, we have, or this upcoming Saturday, the 24th, which is a day before our two year anniversary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not doing anything on Sunday cause we are not open on Sundays. <laughs> Um, so Braddock's going to cook some hot dogs and we're just going to give away hot dogs and chips and lemonade. And, um, and then we have Salome Cabaret there that night. Yes. Uh, So that's kind of what we're doing to celebrate our two years. We didn't put together anything too big. I just, uh, we've had so much change and so much growth in the last two years that there's so many dates to celebrate. Like when we moved to the big shop and. Um, but this and you're is the, getting married. We are getting married oh, in October. Exciting! I'm ready. I'm excited. Oh, that's um, very exciting. So Thank of you. you. Are you just um, small wedding, little little small venue? It is. I don't know. I would say medium. I mean, mm-hmm. you think Braddock and I are as married as two people can be without getting the mm-hmm. government involved? You know what I mean? Like we own our house, we own the business. I get you, we're girl. Like, get we're it. like. We're there. Um, I hey, up until like the moment I've been married twice before, and I just did not want to do it again. And until the very, I mean, up there, I'm up there, and I'm going. You still sure that you want to, you know, 
You want? We don't have to do this. We can have the ceremony and everything, but we ain't got to go and file a piece of paper. Right. <laughs> no, if I want, oh no, I want to marry you. I love you. Blah blah blah. Fine, whatever. So it's been great. Yeah. Well, I've never been married, <laughs> and I we're getting married in October, and mm-hmm. I turn forty in December. Uh, so I'm getting yeah. my fairy tale wedding right by the skin <laughs> of my teeth. Um, it's not gonna be huge. Like maybe mm-hmm. 40, 50 people. What and we day? are still doing a fairy tale wedding. So I'm I have like a fairy princess gown being made and Braddock has hoof pants where he's gonna be a manatar. So he oh, like how has uh, hooves and furry awesome. pants. We're also asking <laughs> all of our guests to dress up like whimsical and yes. romantic. Oh or like mythological creatures. Pretty much. I mean, it's still like I cut the the shop is a very fair representation of my personality, the way it's decorated. Mm-hmm. So the wedding is very much gonna be that too kind of whimsical mm. and romantic and fun we really just want to have a fun day with our friends i love that so i'm much. so excited for you i could just see the joy in be, your face yeah and, i'm excited yeah. i mean i'm excited listen i am um i don't know that i've ever had the experience of being the prettiest girl in the room do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think the opportunity to have that before I turn 40. I mean, also, I love him with every fiber of my being. The I, I would never have, I've never even thought about being anybody else's me? wife. That's amazing. Um, we met there. So um, this organization called Trans Empowerment Project uh, used to do clothing swaps here in Knoxville. Um, and I went to a clothing swap at the birdhouse over in fourth and mm-hmm. Gill. Yeah. Um, they had had several, um, threats to the birdhouse, um, because they were having some, um, anti-racist community organizing meetings there. Mm-hmm. So, um, Braddock was, is part of a group that's, uh, militantly anti-racist. Nice. And so he had, he was on security detail. So he was just outside the building kind of patrolling to where if anybody came to mess or start anything or throw anything, he was like, he was like the barrier of defense. Um, and I had walked outside. Um, I still smoked at this time. Mm-hmm. I walked outside to smoke and he was standing out there and we started talking and really we were just friends. Um, for a few mm-hmm. months he started, he would like come to my house and he would be sitting on my porch. I would get off of work in the evening mm-hmm. and go to my house and he would be sitting at my house smoking on the porch, waiting for me to get off work. And um, I told him, I kept telling him that um, I was moving. I had bought a travel trailer and put solar panels and a rainwater collection system on it. Uh, This was after my Florida heartbreak. I had came back to Tennessee and I was like, I'm not staying here. Mm -hmm. Um, So the whole time I'm I'm working really hard, I'm retrofitting and I'm getting ready to leave and I'm going to open Cracker Barrels. So my first Cracker Barrel was going to be in Vegas. So um, I had This was for your job. You were yeah, my, oh, I was wow. going to travel yeah, to Vegas, okay. open a Cracker Barrel mm-hmm. there, and then move in six weeks to a new location and open a new Cracker Barrel. I was just literally going to travel around. Then if you around. live out of your trailer, your yeah. travel trailer, you got a place to stay yeah, while so, you're there um, briefly. I kept telling him, do not get attached to me. I'm leaving in September. Um, you know, I'm not staying. You know, you're not coming with me. <laughs> So, um, it was about two weeks before I was scheduled to leave and Braddock said, I think that it might be a little dangerous for you to be traveling across the country, all the way across the country in those vast States alone. What if something happens? You get stranded on the side of the road. He said, let me come with you. And then, um, when you get to Vegas and we get you set up, then, uh, I'll fly back. 
So here we go. We go up to Chicago. We go to Wright Fest. We travel across the northern mm-hmm. part of the country all the way to the Sounds in Washington and then all the way down the 101 to San Francisco and then finally get to Vegas. We were there for four days and just spanked Vegas's butt. <laughs> I mean, when I tell you spanked that we would... We won $800 the first day we got there at the Flamingo. We'd go around to other casinos and lose it, go back to the Flamingo and win again. <laughs> um, so four days in, I come out of the shower house and I had already been to my Cracker Barrel to discuss with them that I would be starting the following week. I came out of the shower house and the travel trailer was uprooted. My scooter was loaded up. The dog gate was down and he was sitting in the driver's seat of the truck. And we didn't talk about it at the time. But I got up in the passenger seat and we drove on to the Grand Canyon and then uh, and then on to Texas, to some Six Flags in Texas. And uh, we had taken uh, some hallucinogenic drugs and we were riding roller coasters Ooh, on Halloween. World. Um, <laughs> I love it. And we, uh, Braddock, at this point, Braddock had never shown... Um, affection to me in public because keep in mind he's a cishet man he didn't seek me out because i was trans to have a relationship with relationship with me we organically got to know each other and then it just became not a deal breaker right you know what i mean yeah so he reminds me a lot of mine that just that kind of stays back in the in the background (laughs) quiet you know you know he's there though you know so So we got off the Joker roller coaster, and as we got to the end of the queue, he reached down and grabbed my hand. Um, And I'm freaking out. I'm like, he's holding my hand in public. I'm looking around. I'm like, people people see it. Like, this is happening. And then he pulled me in, and he kissed me. And he said, I think that maybe you should just be my girlfriend. Um, And I said, okay. And then we came back to Tennessee from there, and he uh, moved the stuff out of the... Uh, the awning and backed my travel trailer right down there and went to the storage unit and got all of my stuff out and moved me in and we have lived together and been together ever since. And that was six years ago now. We've traveled 40 states end to end. Wow. In six years. Wow. Across the country, east to west twice and then south to north and back once. Is that your one? Huh? Obviously. Yeah, I've never been loved properly until him. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there was always somebody uh, trying to get something out of me. I think that uh, I've always, I've not always been uh, monetarily successful, but I've always had a charisma about me where people wanted to be around me. Um, and he makes me feel like, he, he honestly he makes me feel like. Genuinely wants to be yeah. with you. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. wants to be with me all the time. Even when things are bad, he wants to be with me. And that's when you can really tell mm-hmm. when things are bad and they still want to be by your side. And um, I don't know. I just, I love him with my whole heart. I know that he does me too. Uh, and there's never, there's not any question of that. That's so wonderful. That's authenticity. And he's hot. He is so See, that's hot. another reason it reminds me of mine, too. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is not going to air until next week. So anything that we got coming up this week, done for. Right. What you got coming up? Oh, Pride. I've, yeah, I've got the Thursday before Pride. I've got a 
bunch of comics that I met at the P3 Comedy Fest in Florida who are coming up to um, put on a show and a benefit at the Pride Center at the vocational part. So uh, our ticket sales go to back into the Pride Center as well as taking care of the traveling comics coming through um, so that they're not losing a great deal of income because some of them are going to be on the stage uh, at Pride. At Pride. That's awesome. Yes. So uh, Dr. Anna Leapley is a drag kink. She does a show that uh, is called Comedians and Drag Doing Comedy. And that's a fun show. And then LG Gray, you would love LG because she is um, uh, an apostic. Her humor is very much, uh, you, d- you just have to see her. She is a different experience altogether. <laughs> and Possibly them. So forgive me if it's them. Perhaps. I don't. Look at it. Yeah, I'll make sure. But she's fabulous. Anyway, they're, they're fabulous. I don't. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Everybody on the bill is amazing. Allie Simpson will be there. And uh, Nick Starnes and um, Brandy Augustus, who is a organizi- organizer. I can't make my words work because you know why? Yeah, I know why. I know why, too. Sometimes <laughs> words are hard. So, holy goodness. We are complete. But, I've noticed that we are complete opposites when that happens. That I get up and you. Depending. It's yeah. just weird. Isn't yeah. It? it has been a little weird. All right. So, Pride Homecoming. Yes. Starts Friday. Well, it really starts Thursday with Gail's Comedy Show. So, come and see that. Yeah, that'll be fun. But Friday is the parade. Do you know what time the parade is starting? Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. Downtown Gay Street. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then Saturday, October 1st, we are kicking off all the vendors, 160 vendors. That's very Um, exciting. There's going to be food. I personally am going to be volunteering in the food tent. So please come see me. And then, and there'll be entertainment all day. Yes. That day, and then Sunday is a little more chill day. There's going to be lots of entertainment Shopping. that day, and there's <laughs> going to be some, a few vendors around, and it's just going to be a great time. They are projecting 150 to 200,000 people. That is insane to me. I will yeah. be volunteering as well yeah. as doing the comedy stage. Oh, that's right. At Pride. Yep. Yeah, which I'm very excited about. And then about. you'll have, a, South Price is going to have a booth we as well. We are yep. setting up, we're the um, exclusive coffee sponsor of Pride. That's very uh, exciting. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's crazy to think. Um, it's crazy to think how much you've accomplished in just two short years. I mean, it's the power of community. I think that it, I, I made a pretty room. That's what I did. Uh, but what really makes it special, what makes South Press work, uh, is the people who fill it. Um, from the guests to the vendors to the people who come and put on shows there. I think that it's definitely a community effort. Um, and I'm just grateful to be of service. I'm grateful to be able to do mm-hmm. that. It has literally the best vibe. That's the whole thing. The vibe. The vibe is great. And it's a magical spot. So... And cannot forget October 15th at the concourse. Yes. A traditional midnight showing of Rocky Horror where Jocelyn is Frankenfurter and I will be Brad 
tickets are on sale now. I'm they will sell out. Yeah, they will definitely. And I'm sad. I'll be gone. I'll well, be at a yeah, burn. I know. I know. I had to decide between Rocky Horror it's and the Burn. It's our anniversary, our burn anniversary. <laughs> so it's important. Uh, yeah, so but, tickets are on sale for that. Please come see us. Hey, you want to sing with us? Is the outro? It's the same as the intro. Oh, uh, you don't want to sing it. Don't we do? So easy. Johnson you know. saying bass, Braddy saying tennis. <laughs> <laughs> and then Gail just jumped right in there. Yeah, that's how I have to do. And like to our listeners <laughs> in the U.S. and abroad, oh, we thank you so much. We haven't heard from Chris lately. No. Chris, we hope you're doing well. Yeah, we do hope you're doing well. <laughs> Chris is from Nova Scotia. I was just, just thinking. Of, or was it Newfoundland? Canada. Okay. Yep. Nova Scotia. <laughs> to our listeners, you know what? We love you. And we thank you so much for listening to Gavin Girl Time. Gavin Girl Time. Gavin Girl Time. Be a Dolly Parton capitalist. Yes. Be a diamond <laughs> in this rhinestone world. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> it's being better than being a turd rolled in glitter, right? <laughs>